Well, welcome to our alumni conversations conversation for today. I'm Daniel Ostendorf, part of our alumni relations team. And I am so excited to be with you this afternoon. Uh, I'm here in our machine shop. This is actually the, the lathe shop, a uh, place that not only many of our alumni have spent several hours over their time here, but our current students still do. You know, one of the things that we pride ourselves in, but really is a hallmark of a Letourneau education is that hands-on experience. And so here in the, the lathe shop in our mechanical engineering lab, um, students spend countless hours uh, machining aluminum and steel and working with all kinds of projects here. Just on the other side of the wall from me and behind me here, we've got all sorts of other machines that students are working with during their time here. And it's really that hands-on education that is unique to our time and our alumni's time here. Well, I wanted to be here with you because today we're actually going to be speaking with several mechanical engineering graduates, um, specifically about space innovation and exploration. And so I'm looking forward to that conversation. Well, before we do, as always, I have a few things to share with you, some special announcements. So let me bring those in here for us. Some exciting news. Letourneau was just ranked number one nationally for our online college program, the best online college, and ranked number one uh, in Texas for the best online program. In addition, we were ranked number eight as best college in Texas, right between Baylor and between Texas Tech. So we're really excited about that. One of the things that I noticed in that listing is we are also the most affordable Christian university in Texas. So not only one of the best educations, but also one of the most affordable. And that's something we're continually committed to here at Laterno University, making it not only a practical hands-on education that equips men and women for the uh, but one that is also as affordable as we possibly can make it. And to that extent, we are incredibly thankful for those who support our students and our scholarships for endowments to make that possible. Well, we've got some other exciting news. If you didn't know, Letourneau is preparing for its 75th anniversary coming up here in 2021 and 2022. It's amazing to think all that God has done over these last 75 years since our doors opened in the, the fall of 1946. Well, as part of that, we're going to be doing events all throughout the year, but our homecomings are especially going to be really unique celebratory events this year, ways that go beyond what we've done before in the past. To that extent, we've got some news that's going to be rolling out here in the next couple of months to let you know about. Tickets are going to go on sale for special events. And our first opportunity for those special events is actually coming up this next week, Monday morning. Tickets open up uh, for a special concert. Sandy Patty is going to be coming back to campus uh, for a Wednesday night concert. So those of you who have extra time off work or have the flexibility to be here and join us on Wednesday of homecoming, you'll get a chance to enjoy a concert with Sandy Patty that evening. Now, the cool thing is, if you use special welcome back code, uh, special promo code welcome back, all one word, you're going to get 25 to 30 percent off your ticket as alumni and family connect to the university. So when you purchase your ticket starting Monday, there'll be a two-week window just for our alumni and their families. Make sure to use that code, and you can always contact us at alumni at letu.edu to confirm that welcome back code and buy your tickets then. One of the fun things, I was just looking through some yearbooks last week for some research, and Sandy Patty was here in 1982 for a concert for our students, so we're excited to have her back. Well, in addition to that, we're going to have a familiar face join us that morning in chapel, Steve Adele, one of our former deans of students and also an accomplished concert pianist will be joining us Wednesday morning in chapel to play and lead us in worship. And so we are so excited to have him come back. Well, if this is the kind of information you want to know about, and you want to know more about what's coming up with our 75th celebration with homecoming, head on over to www.letu.edu slash homecoming. And there's a form there to sign up. You're not committing yourself to anything. You don't have to pay anything. You're just letting us know you're interested and we'll keep you in the loop and let you know about special unique opportunities. You'll be the first to hear about um, sales and special events and discounts, and we're excited to keep you in the loop that way. Well, our last, my last announcement for this morning, other than the 75th, is to let you know about two new resources we have. 
if you are a podcast listener, say your work takes you on the road a lot or you're a commuter and you enjoy listening to podcasts, we've got two podcasts I want to let you know about. The first one is Snapshots. Now, you may already be familiar with the video series that our marketing department's been doing, where faculty sit down and they tell their journey of faith, how they came to Laterno and why they love being here. Well, this has also been turned into a podcast. And so if you search for Laterno Snapshots, you'll find it on any podcast uh, platform on, on your phone, on Google or on Apple, and you can pick it up there. The other exciting news is that actually these conversations, our alumni conversations, have been turned into a podcast as well. So this conversation today will be available tomorrow morning for those of you who want to listen to it that way. I also encourage you to share it with those who maybe don't want to sit down in front of Facebook and watch a video, but we'd love to hear these stories of what our alumni are up to. Well, that's the, the extent of my announcements today. Always exciting stuff here going on, and we're always excited for what God is doing here at Laterno University. Well, today I have a co-host joining me. He's a friend. He's a dear colleague here at Laterno. He's an associate professor of mechanical engineering. He's also a alumni from 1991 here at Laterno, so we're excited to have him back here impacting our students. And on top of that, appropriate to our conversation today, Norman Reese worked for NASA in the early 1990s as he came out of college in an internship and he got to work for them there. So let me tell you a little bit more about Norman. As a kid, Norman Reese loved to build things. So he discovered kindred spirits here at Laterno with classmates racing go-karts, competing in invention contests, pulling pranks in the middle of the night and gathering uh, to pray together in Sphere Chapel. Well, as a junior in college, Norman fulfilled a lifelong dream of working with NASA when he gained an internship with them, a co-op internship. Um, and so he completed his last few years here also working with NASA in Houston. After graduation, he was hired at Johnson Space Center to do structural design and testing on space shuttle hardware. Well, after five years, he realized that that really wasn't where God wanted him to be. And so he went off to the University of Colorado where he earned his master's in mechanical engineering. After that, Norman was hired by an alumni, David Berg, to work in contract manufacturing where they built things like cell phone testers and DNA sequencers and synthesizers and dialysis machines. Well, after that, he co-founded, or as he says, confounded, uh, a biomass energy company with systems that converted wood chips into fuel. Well, when fracking was developed and the price of natural gas dropped, that company was no longer sustainable. God led Norman back here to Laterno University, and he has just celebrated his 10th year. He's now in his 11th, and we are so excited that he's here working with our students and ministering them. So I'm going to bring him into this conversation. Norman, thanks so much for joining me today, and we're glad you're here at Laterno. Yes, I'm glad to be here too, and I'm joining you from my classroom here in Klasky building. So. Yeah, and I think you told me a few minutes ago that students are actually probably going to join us here at the end of the call, so that'll be fun to, to have them come in on this conversation as well. Yeah, I've got a freshman class that starts here in a few minutes, so they'll come wandering in, and we can see them as well. Hey, Norman, being that we're talking to two alumni, and you are an alumni, I would love to have you introduce our two guests for today. Would you be willing to do that? So we'll uh, introduce Misty first. Misty Pearson graduated mechanical engineering 2008 here at Laterno University and her and her husband Rob live in Houston and they are parents to a two-year-old Savannah and they have a son on the way. Houston has become home. They've got a sweet community of friends and a church family they love and are actively involved in. While a student at Laterno, Misty was part of the Honors College community in Davis Hall and the Society of Women Engineers. She started as a contractor after graduating in January 2009 working with the stowage and inventory on the International Space Station. And over the past 10 years, Misty's work has involved supporting real-time activities and mission control, helping to coordinate cargo deliveries, and in 2016, a shift to a new integration role with the International Space Station Flight Operations Team included working directly with the crew office, 
that's, that's fine. And uh, with new arrivals at the space station and their acclimation to their new home and work environment in space. After a decade of working as a NASA contractor, Misty moved just this past month to the spaceflight vehicle mock-up facility as a full-time NASA employee. This new team is helping to prepare astronauts through training on new lunar vehicles for the 2024 moon landing. So thanks so much for joining us today, Misty. Thank you for having me. Let me introduce Sam Skilnick as well. 1987 graduate, Sam Skilnick uh, met his wife, Lisa Letourneau, one of the few women that were here at the time, rare commodity, during a 7.30 a.m. Calc 1 class with Dr. Rodin in 1983. So you think calculus is bad enough to, to have to face that at 7.30 in the morning. Sam was among the students who called the Downtowner, that was a hotel in downtown Longview, turning into a student dorm. He called that home during his time as a student. In addition to that, Sam was involved in student government and a member of Letourneau's Gold Key Society, a year after graduating, Sam landed a job with Pratt & Whitney in West Palm Beach, Florida, while originally working on the F-100 PW229 gas turbine program, he later switched to the RL-10 program. His division eventually became Pratt & Whitney Rocketdyne and today is known as Aerojet Rocketdyne. Sam spent 15 years in system analysis and then moved over to field and launch support where he currently works. The RL-10, the rocket Sam began working on in 1990, powers the upper stage of the Atlas V and Delta IV rockets, as well as the SLS rockets that, when complete, would be the most powerful rockets ever built. Those will be used to further space exploration. Sam is involved in a rocket launch scheduled for this week that will use the RL-10 rocket. So, Sam, Sam, thanks so much for joining us as well. You're welcome. Thank you. Well, it's always exciting to stand with our alumni. Uh, a few corrections. I, I sent uh, Norman some old information, actually. That rocket's launching next week, and it will power not only the SLS, but there was another one as well, Sam. What else is the RL-10 going to power? Um, the current plans are the Vulcan Centaur. That's going to be United Launch Alliance uh, replacement for the Atlas V rocket and wow. the Delta. And the Delta, okay. And you've been working on that rocket for almost, well, over 30 years now. Yes, the uh, RL-10 engine has been around for quite a while. Of course, it's uh, been improved, um, but the fundamental design remains the same. Well, hey, Norm, our first part that we always like to have in these conversations is a conversation about time at Letourneau. And since you're an Letourneau alumni, you want to kick off that part of our conversation? Yeah, and I think I was actually here the same time as Sam, because he graduated about when I was a freshman. I was on Tyler first floor at the time. I don't know, you might have a signature on my beanie even, I'm not sure, but... It's been a long time. So yeah, just talk about some memories of, you know, what, what some of the memories you have of Letourneau and, and being on campus and what was special about being here in Longview, Texas. Either one of you can start if a memory comes to mind. Well, you mentioned the downtowner in your uh, introduction and uh, that was definitely a very fond memory. It was my first semester, and uh, actually it was the downtowner's last semester, as I recall. I think it was literally only the first semester I was in that, and then they uh, closed the building down. There was a lot of, it was a very unique place, and a lot of fun. Um, of course, you know, most of us were there to study, so we certainly worked hard, but there was a lot of fun that uh, went on there. You know, the pranks, many, many stories related to the downtowner that I've learned from some good friend that uh, was there at the downtown or with me. And that's how I met him and still stay in touch with him. And uh, 
And last year when we were back at Letourneau, got to sit down and eat dinner with he and some others. And uh, there were, you know, even more stories about it. That was that was a very unique experience being downtown in Longview, especially my first semester there. Yeah, I just heard stories about it when I got here. It's like, oh, the downtown or they had a group of students downtown at the hotel. It sounded like a crazy time. But what about you, Nancy? Any other memories? Oh, man, a lot of memories. Well, I was able to live in Thomas Hall for my first year, so nothing at all like y'all's experience, I'm sure. But whenever I think about Laterno and, you know, what I tell students whenever they're looking for a college is just what a personal connection I had with everyone. I mean, some of my best friends today were uh, fellow Laterno uh, graduates and just the professors. I mean, the fact that the professors were so invested in us. I remember a sophomore year, which at the time was weed out year for engineering. And I think I found myself in Dr. G's office for dynamics, I don't know, three or four times a week, some some weeks. And he was always more than happy to help. And that was the same for every professor. You know, they were there to help us learn and help us succeed. And that that was significant to me. And I think Dr. Gonzalez had a, a big impact on a lot of students here definitely raise the bar like if you could pass dynamics you were ready for anything yeah pretty much <laughs> sharing that story about kind of the impact of faculty leads me to, to ask norman what about you here you were an alumni you come back as a faculty member is that still true i mean do you still feel like your colleagues and you like spending time with students whatever you have to do to get them kind of across the finish line is still a part of who we are or has that changed in some way I don't know, you know, the passion of, of the faculty and the staff for the students is is really one of a kind. You know, when you you leave here and you go off to the workplace, you go to grad school. I went to the University of Colorado and you just, you know, 25,000 other students on campus and you just, your, your professors have a lot less time and attention for you. So if, it's pretty much on you. If you, if you want to make it, you got to make it. And if you don't, nobody notices. So it's definitely a really nurturing environment here. And, and even when students get in trouble, I've had a couple of students struggling uh, in the last couple of months here. And, you know, how can we help them? And, and there's tutoring available now that we didn't used to have here and, and all kinds of um, student instructors and, and ways to help students succeed. So it's definitely we, we have that desire, the Laterno way. I think one of the things that always encourages me is hearing stories of people from the 50s and 60s hearing stories of students from the 80s and 90s and then today and be like, wow, we've changed, but we haven't changed. There are just some things that are still true of who we are. Um, and I think that importance that professors put on helping students succeed in that relationship part is key. Well, all three of you ended up in the space industry within months, within a year of graduation. So I just want to spend a real brief period of time kind of sharing that story. How did you get from graduation to Pratt & Whitney? How did you get from graduation down to Houston, the International Space Station? How did you get from graduation into this internship? So I uh, took four and a half years to get my mechanical engineering degree. So my uh, last summer internship that I had, I was down here in Houston, not working for NASA, but here in the area. So I was able to connect with a family friend who worked at Johnson Space Center. And, you know, they always say it's it's all about who you know, which is mostly true. And so she told me about working in operations for the International Space Station. And so I was able to hear more about that work and found out about which contractor supports that. And so just kind of one thing led to another. And 
uh, found out that they there were a couple of teams that were hiring. And so found out about the inventory and stowage team, which isn't what you think of whenever you think of mission control, but that was right up my alley. And so I applied and it was absolutely a God thing. I mean, you know, I struggled a bit in college, as I'm sure some of the current students are. And I think it was just he had laid out those stepping stones and it was exactly where I was supposed to be. And so I applied to one job and I got the job. It, it was God. It wasn't me. Wow. So one job and you got it and got open door. That's amazing. Well, Sam, well, you're our guest today, so we'll, we'll hand it off to you next. How do you end up at Pratt & Whitney? Well, I, uh, that goes back to that friend I mentioned from the downtowner, Don Bell, another Laterno alumni with multiple degrees from Laterno. He was in the downtowner there uh, that got to know him starting that first semester. And um, then fast forward to my junior year for the summertime, I was uh, looking for something to work in the engineering field specifically. And uh he helped me get a job where he works in Wichita Falls, Texas. At, uh, at then, it was called Howmet. During that summer, of course, a lot of people there are very interested in aviation. They refurbish uh, that division at Howmet at the time, refurbished gas turbine parts. You know, some of the guys there would uh, lay out magazines, Aviation Week, and things like that. So uh, during one of those lunchtime conversations or, you know, something like that uh, there in Wichita Falls, flipping through the back of it, looking at job, you know, job postings or job ads and uh, saw one in there for Pratt and Whitney. Uh, I, was e I was either interested in uh, going into working with diesel engines or other kinds of engines or jet engines and uh, is what I had in mind. And so uh, out of the choices that I had, I decided to go to South Florida with Pratt and Whitney. And so after about one month, I was down there at Pratt and Whitney starting out in January of 1988. So started out in the gas turbine side, like you said, it definitely is a great opportunity. Then after about two years in that, I moved over to the RL-10 engine, the rocket program, the one rocket engine, one full rocket engine at the time Pratt & Whitney, you know, made. We were not part of Rocketdyne at that point. So that's how I got down here. Well, it's either who you know in family or it's who you, you know, were in the dorm with at college. Um, so relationships are huge. And I just... Sam, what an encouragement. But man, it may not look like exactly what you hope it looks like at college or what you start out of college may not look the same five years down the road. Um, and Norm, I know that's been part of your story. God's led you through lots of opportunities and different things. So how did your internship work out at, at NASA? Tell us a little bit about that. Well, we had a career coordinator that was told us about the co-op program. I, I hadn't really heard of it before, but this is where you can work for a company a semester, you come back and study a semester and go back and work a semester. And so you, um, it takes a little while longer to graduate, but you actually end up working for a company much earlier. So I, of course, always dreamed of working for NASA growing up. And so I went to, uh, went down and interviewed and applied and they said, well, uh, maybe get back to us. And so I got back to them and and I think eventually I wore them down. I was polite but persistent. And uh, eventually they, they offered me a job in as a co-op. So I was able to go in and start working down in Houston at Johnson Space Center. You know, and I worked after graduating mostly with the Instructions and Dynamics building, I think Building 13. I don't know if they're still in the same building, but I'll bet Misty walks past there <laughs> once in a while. Well, you know, it's people you know, it's perseverance, it's patience and so norm thanks for sharing well we've got about 10 minutes left and sam and misty i know 
Norm and I are excited to hear about your stories and what you guys are involved in. Well, I think everybody's uh, interested, you know, in how are we going to get to the moon and, and to Mars. And we've got some really cool movies out the last few years. And, you know, we want to be that person to get stuck on Mars, you know. So, Missy, how is that playing into your work? You develop mock-ups of the space station. Are you guys talking about yeah, how to get to the moon? Oh, yes. That is all we talk about some days. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so Boots on the Moon by 2024 is the goal. And in the facility I work in now, granted I've, I've been there a month, so um, I'm definitely still learning the job. But we uh, are all about training the astronauts and training the flight controllers. And so we have um, what we call mock-ups. So basically a scaled down version of the International Space Station, and now we're starting to add in the new mock-ups for going back to the moon. So that includes new lunar landers. There's going to be a, we call it gateway. It's it's like a very small space station, but it has a very large orbit around the moon that then allows us to land in lots of different places on the moon. So for those who are familiar with Apollo, we basically landed at the equator because that's what's easiest. But if you start looking at the South Poles, there is the potential for water molecules, almost constant sunlight, so you have solar power there. So lots more options, but we also don't want to limit ourselves to just the South Pole. So um, lots of lots of new programs starting up just over the past couple of years. So between Gateway and the Lunar Lander program, lots new mock-ups are coming our way. So. We are uh, figuring out how to make them all fit because obviously building space is at a premium and yeah, lots, lots to figure out. So I don't know if you can see it or not. I'm putting a screen, I think a picture of the building probably working a lot. I guess it's 200 yards long. So this is a big building. It's huge. Yes. The space vehicle mock-up facility or building nine is what it's called. And so you have these different capsules of the International Space Station. As it is flying around the Earth right now, you have mm -hmm. the mock-up. So they, they, why, what's the purpose of this? How do you use those? It's all about training. Obviously very expensive to send people into space. And so being able to train them here on the ground means that they take a lot less time to do their job on board on the space station. And so having a mock-up facility that replicates what the space station looks like means that whenever they open that hatch and they float in there, they say, okay, this feels familiar. I know what I'm doing. And sure, there, there's a little bit of time for acclimation, but they've said time and time again that the training facility is one of the most important things because then they're able to execute their mission and it's just like how they were trained the past few months. So you get to meet any astronauts while you're there? Oh yeah, we work with the crew office a ton. <laughs> It's funny down here in Houston, it's it's no big deal. I mean, you know, everybody knows an astronaut or somebody's dad is an astronaut or whatever. So I was I was pretty shell-shocked at the beginning, but now it's very commonplace. Well, thanks, Jerry Misty. Sam, that transitions us to we're training astronauts to send them up. We've got stuff in orbit, but man, we've got to get in there. And that takes propulsion and a lot of it. So tell us a little about what you guys are, whatever you can. I know there's some limits on what you can tell us, but but about the RL10 development and kind of the, the challenges that we face in trying to, to figure out that technology and make it more efficient, um, or what are the challenges that we're facing trying to get people to the moon and even deeper into space? 
Well, the uh, the RL10 is our our honestly our our uh, probably our biggest challenge at this point has been to try to drive the cost down, which I think it's a great thing that there's more competition now in the space industry with the advent of SpaceX and everything they're doing, as well as you know up and coming Blue Origin, and you know some other entrants in some of the smaller class rockets. But so that that's a good thing overall for the industry. And so relative to the RL10, you know, a big focus right now is trying to do things with the same level of performance and reliability, but while driving the cost down. So and that and that is a challenge because you know this this engine fundamentally was designed in the late 1950s, and uh, so some of the manufacturing processes, you know, while they're they're very robust and have worked very well over the decades, they can be a little bit labor intensive and costly. And so working on a lot of that. Uh, while also trying to, you know, manage that or thread that needle of not reducing the performance of the engine, um, it, it is a very high-performing engine. It's, uh, you know, the gas mileage, in, in a sense, is called the specific impulse for, uh, especially an upper-stage engine. It's usually measured by that, and it has a very, very high specific impulse, meaning it's it's running, you know, pretty efficiently to use that hydrogen and oxygen that uh, flow through it and are ignited in the chamber. So that would say, you know, in a, in a nutshell, that has been our, our bigger focus. We have been, you know, making, you know, incremental uh, tweaks to the engine uh, relative to additive manufacturing, partly to drive that cost down and also to reduce the labor and just the time it takes to build an engine or build the components of an engine. We continue to, you know, increase the thrust slightly, have done that certainly since I've started in 1990. There have been a number of thrust increases since then. You know, that depends on the need for like the various programs like Misty's working on and mentioning, you know, is it going to be going to a, a distant planet, you know, Mars or the moon or, you know, what what's the real need for it? And, you know, we try to tailor what the RL-10 is doing to meet the needs of the rocket maker who ultimately is trying to meet the needs of whoever is paying to put the payload on top of their rocket, you know, be it a satellite, be it a crew capsule, be it, you know, some component of the space station. So that's where we're at. Okay, so Sam, I know you're part of a launch next week. What is your role when when a spaceship's launching or a rocket's launching next week? What's your role as a a field in, in a field in something tech? Sorry, I can't remember your title. Yep, now. that's all right. Field field and launch support is our group title, and so I'm part of the group. You know, it's it's a relatively small group. You know, and I look at it honestly as one of the perks of working. Um, you know, in this group within our company because. Not everyone that, you know, there are many, many, many people that work to make it all possible, you know, of course, with the engine, and then you expand that to the rocket. But our group in particular, our responsibility at Aerojet Rocketdyne for the RL-10 is to make sure that the RL-10 engine is ready to go when our customer needs it to fly. And so as part of that, fortunately, I get to go to a lot of launches. Like the one next week is on top of the Delta, the RL-10 is on top of the Delta IV rocket scheduled to launch a National Reconnaissance Office payload. So what's it like being at the launch? Well, I'm wearing a headset, much like you see here on my computer at home, but uh, wearing a headset there in, um, we call it usually the engineering support area. And it's a building that the rocket maker has, and they're controlling the rocket from that building. And uh, the side that I sit on as part of our group, there are at least a couple of us in there. We're there mainly to watch the data during the minus count before the rocket leaves the Earth, just to make sure we don't see anything out of the ordinary. If we were to see something that you know we really thought was of concern, you know, then we do have the power to you know ask the the directors to you know consider delaying the launch or you know whatever would be needed. And fortunately, that's very 
infrequent, but it does happen. There are many, many things that have to go right on a rocket for it to fly and then even more so to fly successfully. So uh, during the launch, you get to sit there and uh, participate in that process, looking at the data real time, you know, both while it's on the ground and then after it starts flying. Well, Norman, Sam and Misty have agreed to stick around with us after this Facebook Live to talk to your students who are coming in the class behind you. But maybe as we finish up, I'll kick it to you one last time. Do you have any uh, a follow-up question or anything you'd like to ask Misty or Sam before we call this the end of the conversation? We talked about good memories of Letourneau. What probably are you most, uh, what do you value most from your education at Letourneau when you look back on it? You know, we've got good memories and, and professors were really involved, but to do over again, you know, why do you think it was good to go to Letourneau? Oh, I can answer that. So I'll just jump in. Um, problem solving skills. I mean, that's what engineering is all about. Working in operations, I actually don't use a ton of the technical skills that I learned as an engineer, but it's all about the problem solving and figuring out how to have multiple issues at hand and knowing what your option, figuring out what your options are and being able to sort through what the best option truly is. That's what an engineer does. And I learned that through, you know, the professors like we talked about through all the projects. Oh my goodness, all the projects. Um, so that, that to me was the best thing that I walked away with from Letourneau. Well, along those lines, like Misty said, that's certainly a key, a key facet of Letourneau in particular. And, um, and the hands-on that you mentioned earlier, Daniel, um, the hands-on experience is always always very, very good. Of course, you know, some of the things we work on, you know, once we get out are a lot different than what we've done at Laterno, like Misty also said. But it's that method of thinking, I would say, is, you know, it's incredibly important that we help to, you know, really hone and, you know, learn in a lot of ways at Laterno. And I would say also the encouragement from all the professors and just the community in general, you know, to realize that as smart as we are or can be, you know, we didn't create it. And it's uh, it's amazing to think how many variables go into even a rocket engine or, you know, space station or any of that kind of stuff. And, you know, just to realize that, yes, God has given us ability to be, you know, to learn and to solve problems and all that. There's still so much that we don't know. And it's you know, very important to realize, you know, when we're going down a pathway that we don't know, you know, to recognize that and to take that into account. Well, our time's come to a close. Sam, Misty, you're going to stick around and talk to Norman students, and we sure appreciate that. Thank you both for taking the time out of your day, adding this to your busy lives and your schedules as, as husbands and wives, as parents, as workers, and having this conversation with us. It's been an incredible joy and so excited for what God's allowing you guys to do. Praying for wisdom as you continue to work with your teams and lead your teams and serve those people that you work with. Um, but we're really grateful for your time today. So thanks for joining us. Come see us. Well, Norm, uh, Norman, it's always a sweet gift to get to spend time with you, brother. Um, thanks for saying yes. You've got class here that started three minutes ago or four minutes ago, and you still said yes to this. And I'm so grateful. Thankful you're here and thankful for your partnership and what God's doing here. Hang around and I'll pull you back in after uh, I wrap this up. Well, thank you guys so much for joining uh, what is now our fourth episode of Alumni Conversations. It's hard to believe what started two months ago as an experiment. Maybe this would be a great way to, to reach our alumni and connect with them is now in its fourth episode. And
second month. And we are so grateful for those alumni who have joined us. Uh, a couple of announcements here just to, to wrap up our time together to remind you of if you missed it at the beginning. Our 75th anniversary is coming up in January. And if you want to know about special events and concerts and homecomings and celebrations, do be sure to, to navigate over to letu.edu slash homecoming and sign up there to get those updates. We just sent out an email yesterday to those who had signed up with some exciting news coming up next week uh, for a particular concert. And that concert is a special concert with Sandy Patty on Wednesday of homecoming of this next year. There is a discount code for alumni to get 25 to 35, 30% off other year tickets. So make sure to, to reach out to us that way and connect. And one last thing, today's conversation and the three conversations we've had over the last couple months uh, will be live tomorrow morning in your favorite podcast app. So if you've enjoyed this, if you want to share it with somebody else, or if you just want to listen to the conversation again, search for us in that podcast app, and we'd love to have you subscribe there. Well, it is my joy to get to work at Laterna University and see what God is doing here, not only on campus, but through our alumni. So my challenge to you is our alumni is continue serving the Lord wherever he's called you, whether that's at home or at work. May you continue to be Christ's light to your workplace, to your families, and to your communities. Thankful so much that you are part of our Laterno family. Have a great day, and we'll see you in two weeks.